you. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night and we want to thank and praise you for the work that you're doing in our lives. And Lord, we just ask now that you would take this time that we've set aside for the study of your word and Lord, help us to do exactly that. And that you would encourage us, the Holy Spirit would have freedom to minister to our hearts. Your word, in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Take your Bibles if you would. And let's go to Galatians chapter 3 once again. Galatians chapter 3. And uh, we're going to start in verse 13. We touched on this verse last time. And and I uh, want to pick up here and uh, move on through the chapter if we can. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, Though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not as and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say... That the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now, mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid, for if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Now, I'm not sure we'll quite get that far tonight, but we, we need to uh, keep this in its overall context. Of course, the theme uh, that we have picked, that I have picked as we are going through the book of Galatians is, uh, comes from chapter one and, and, uh, verse four, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. It is God's will that we be delivered from this present evil world in which we live. Uh, one of the greatest tools that the devil uses is intimidation. It just makes you feel like uh, nobody is paying attention. I mean, everybody. I sat on an airplane beside some guy. His wife had a friend who got a ticket to go see the Pope at Madison Square Garden. He says, we're, we're on our way. And, and he was sitting between Andrew and I. 
And uh, we started snickering just a little bit. And I said, I think I have one here. And Andrew says, no, I got one. And, and, and I fished a track out of my briefcase. I said, we're, we're not much into that Pope stuff, but I'll give you one of these. And uh, he, he took that and he started laughing. And, uh, and so uh, uh, he, he told me a little bit of things and we discussed a little bit. But then he went to sleep very quickly. He wasn't too interested in much conversation. But we did get off the plane and said, if you got some spare time, come over to our church. And uh, he said, well, the people I'm visiting, they do have a car. Maybe we'll work something out. Well, I'm not holding my breath, but uh, uh, there are more important things than the Pope. And this is one of them. Amen. And the passage that we are going through right now is one of those passages in the Bible. If you're not careful, you read through the book of Galatians, you get here to this part of Galatians chapter 3, and it's Okay, now I'm going to now to the easier parts. This is this is pretty tough stuff. And what Paul is doing here is he is explaining to the Galatians. He starts out with oh foolish Galatians. I mean, he is not being kind. He is not calm. Uh I mean, uh, as he is uh he has taken this rebuke to its highest level. Uh, there, there is nothing worse that you can say to a Christian than that you're acting foolish. Because the Bible defines foolishness as the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So you, you just can't go any higher than what Paul has done. And Paul is trying to help them understand that what Jesus Christ did for us through faith cannot be perfected, cannot be enhanced, cannot be helped by things that we can do with our hand. One of, one of my little jokes that I like to tell often is the mechanic is in the doctor's office. And he's sitting there. And he says, Doc, I just don't get this. He said, these new cars with all their computers and technology. And, and uh, he said, some of the stuff we have to work on, we got to do in a clean room. And, and it's just as uh, clean as your surgeries are. And he said, yet I, I only get uh, $100 an hour and you get thousands of dollars an hour. He said, I just don't get that. My, some of these cars are just as complicated as people are. And the doctor thought about it a minute and he said, but you don't have to work on it while it's still running. And I've often thought the rejoinder for preachers and when we're talking about spiritual things is at least a doctor can work on something that he can see. We're working with things that are unseen. And you wonder why sometimes we get a misdiagnosis, why things don't work the way that we want them to. It's because you just don't see it. And there's only one way to see things spiritually. It's the mirror of God's Word. you got to get in here. The answers are here. 
I don't care what the problem is. The answers are here. And when we follow what the Bible teaches, and Paul is trying to get the Galatians to see it. He's trying to get them to understand. And he has just finished his entire argument here that the just shall live by faith, that no man is justified by works of the law. And now he puts the crowning point on the argument right here in verse 13. He says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. He said, don't you understand that those who break the law are under a curse? You are living in the things that you do if you're trying to get to heaven by keeping the law. And when you break the law, you bring cursing upon you. Uh, we don't have time tonight, but you can go back to the book of Deuteronomy. God gave the children of Israel instruction that they were to go in the valley between two mountains and, and they were to go through and they were to read the cursing upon those that break the law from Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. They were supposed to read the blessings of keeping the law. And, and this was a uh, thing that God had ordained. He said, but we've all broken the law, haven't we? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Paul would later write to the Romans. And he said, Christ hath redeemed us from that curse. How did he do it? He bought us back by being made a curse for us. Now that's some pretty strong language. And some people have taken this and other passages, similar passages to them, where it says Christ was made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him and, and have tried to portray Christ as becoming a, a sinner. As God, uh, as he hung on the cross, that he was all of these things. That's not true. Jesus Christ never sinned, but he took on him all of the judgment for our sins. I, I wish I knew the old time preacher that said this, but that Jesus Christ as the infinite, all-powerful God accomplished in a few moments of time, hours as he hung there on the cross, what would take every man, woman, and child that has ever lived in eternity in hell to accomplish. Jesus got done. He absorbed. He bore in his body the guilt, the punishment, the wrath, the curse. For every sin that was ever sinned in human history. The Bible says, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. That was one of the laws. You weren't to leave a body hanging on the tree overnight. Once they were dead, you were to bury them. Now, every other people group 
has allowed those bodies to hang there. The Romans, when they marched down through that main highway from Galilee down through Samaria to Jerusalem, they lined portions of that highway with crosses. And every cross had a Jew on it. They wanted them to understand that there was not going to be any uprising while Rome was there, as there had been under the Greeks before them. The, uh, the uh, high priest family, the Maccabees they called them, had expelled the Greeks, the Ptolemies, we'll get it out here sooner or later. They had desecrated the temple and they had literally run them out of the land and they had enjoyed a time of self-rule here for nearly 150 or so years. And the Romans came in. They said, it's not going to be like that, guys. And I'm not trying to be over gory here. Uh, or, or unnecessarily uh, detailed, but when the Romans put somebody on the cross normally, they never took the body down. The English were famous for this. That's what they had the giblet made for, was there along the place of execution, criminals were hung in chains and harness so that people would know that there was retribution. God said, that's not the way my law works. He said, everyone that is hung, everyone that is killed, they are a curse. And in order to remove the curse from the land, we want them buried the day of the execution. That was God's law. Much more righteous, wouldn't you say? And humane than many of the other things that were going on. But Jesus became a curse for us. He took every point. That, I mean, we could spend the whole night here. That's why Isaiah 53 says, He shall see the travail of his soul and what? Does anybody remember the words? Be satisfied. You see, if here's what Paul's saying. He said, number one, you cannot be saved by the works of the law. By the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. He that lives in the law, he that lives by the law, can only get so far because he's going to break the law. But if you still insist that you can get closer to God by keeping the law, let's understand something. When you break the law, you bring a curse upon you. And if you're going to take care of your own curse, then you have to hang on the cross. Or, you can stop trying to get close to God by the things you do and believe that what Jesus Christ did was sufficient. You see, that's faith. And... Paul is going to continue this contrast of faith and law, but never does faith destroy the law. Uh, Julia's family had a, uh, 
drama that they used to do, just a little skit. It took about 30, 40 minutes to, to get all the way through, and it was trying to illustrate the relationship between law and grace. And uh, it was actually preached by a preacher in Texas named Lester Roloff, and they tried to uh, act out the sermon. It was, it was just a really excellent thing. But at the end, the sinner realizes that Dr. Law couldn't save him. But he says, I'll always love you. You know what? The law, the law... As we get to the end of this chapter, and we're not getting that far tonight, is our schoolmaster, it tells us. The law is what brings us to Christ. The law is what proves beyond any shadow of a doubt that you cannot obtain righteousness by the things that you do. The law is not my enemy. The law is not an enemy of grace, my friend. The law is not against faith. They work together. The Bible is not contradictory. And so we have Galatians chapter 3 and verse 14 says, As Christ hung on the cross, He took our curse for Him. Verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, you don't have to be very familiar with your Bible to understand one thing. It is not man seeking God. It is always God seeking man. Who came looking for Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening after they had sinned against God? Did God not know where Adam was? That he had to go looking for him and call for him? No. He called for Adam to give him an opportunity to stop trying to hide himself. You cannot hide from God. How foolish we are. And yet, the Bible says that he came to Abraham. And what was that promise? That promise was, in your seed, in your Descendants, all of the families of the earth are going to be blessed. And so that blessing that was promised in Abraham, it comes on the Gentiles, that is the non-Jewish people. It says, the promise of the Spirit through faith. And this is a point that I just like to stop here and get back to. Let, let's the the references aren't in here, but the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God is the answer to all the questions. It is the fulfillment of the prophecies that are in the scriptures. We have some pretty strange prayers that are in the Psalms and and some things that are a little different uh, as it says that God took his spirit away from King Saul. And from that day forward, an evil spirit troubled Saul. Now, why did God take his spirit away? Because Saul had rejected following the Lord. David, as he was repenting of his great sin with Bathsheba, Psalm 51, what is part of his prayer? It says, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. 
But we already read in 1 Samuel that the Spirit of God came on David from that day forward, didn't he? And yet, David did not have the promise that you and I have through Jesus Christ. He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And of course, we know that that is speaking primarily of the church as the church is doing the job. That's why it says, go ye therefore. But it's also a promise to us as individuals that God is never going to take that Spirit away. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We go back to, let's just do it here. Genesis chapter 1. Let's take a few moments here tonight. In verse 26, I want you to read carefully with me here. Verse 26, Genesis chapter 1. And God said... Let me make man in my image. Is that what your Bible says? No, it it doesn't. It better not say that. If it doesn't, if your Bible does say that, that's not a good Bible. I promise you that. Uh, It said, let us make man in our image. Now, that is a plural pronoun there. Who was God talking to? Was he talking to the angels? Did he need the angels to help him in the act of creation? No, the Bible is very clear. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. There, uh, or, I'm sorry, let me make sure I got the right reference. Yes, and the Spirit of God moved over the face of the waters. John chapter 1, I believe it's verse 4, says, And without him was not anything made that was made. And in the book of Revelation, it says that Jesus is the beginning of the creation of God, not as our, um, uh, as the Jehovah's Witness cult would like you to believe that Jesus was the first thing created. No, creation began from Jesus. Jesus is the source. So the hour, and by the way, if you just want to know, the hour is in the Hebrew. That's why it's in the English. This is not an innovation. This is not something that was put in your Bible uh, later so to accommodate the idea of the triune God, as some people have pretended. This is in the Hebrew manuscripts from which our Bible came. It was just translated. Who was God speaking to? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. That is who was involved in creation. And God said, let us make man in our image. If you've been through the discipleship, you've you've walked through this thing. How are we created in the image of God? Does God look European? Does he look South American? Does he look Asian? Is that how we're created in the image of God? That, that couldn't be because there are too many different variations in the human genome, in our physical appearances to, to describe that thing. Yet, even the most primitive and rudimentary societies believe in the existence of a supernatural world, do they not? 
that there is more to this physical body than just uh, a heart pumping blood and impulses running through. This is the problem with modern psychology is they treat the human being as if he were just an animal. I'll tell you, there's, there's animals are different. And I'm sorry if you believe Fifi has all these little emotions and, and, and things. Uh, animals can respond to your moods, etc., but they don't think like you do if... If your little cat knocks off your most prized possession and shatters it into a thousand pieces, your cat is not going to cry. You are. Uh, but your cat is, not, is still going to come to you the next day and act like it's your privilege to have him or her in the house. I mean, that's just the way cats are. And, and I'm not against cats necessarily. I know a lot of people that are, but um, they're, they're wonderful little animals in their place. Uh, but uh, the, the truth of the matter is there's a difference between animals and humans. There's something more than what you see. You know what we call that? We call that a soul. When, when you say, I love you with all of my heart, you're not talking about that Muscle inside your chest that's going boom, 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 boom. You're talking about your feelings and your emotions and the seat of your will. That's your soul. It is a picture, an image, if you would like to use the Bible word, of God the Father. Your body, an image of God the Son. Not too hard to figure out. Amen. And... What is the image of the Holy Spirit? Well, when man was created, he was created in three parts, just like God has explained himself to us. Man had a spirit. The spirit is that part of man that has contact with God. How many of you know what happened when Adam and Eve sinned? Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. We've got to hurry here. It says, God told Adam and Eve, In the day that ye shall eat thereof, thou shalt what? Surely die. Adam and Eve ate thereof, and after another 130 years, Adam had a son named Seth. Contradiction in the Scripture? Not hardly. There are none. You see, if we don't start from the right place, we're going to end up in the wrong place. We don't believe there are any contradictions in the Scripture. But if you go to Genesis chapter 5, and we'll just take a moment here, and let's, let's finish this thing out. Verse 1, this is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him, male and female created he them, and blessed them, and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. So here we have Adam, made in the likeness of God, verse 3, and Adam lived 130 years and begat a son, what's those next words say? In his own likeness. After his, Adam's image, 
Now, if Adam was created in God's image, yet when Adam gave birth and Eve gave birth to their son, Seth, he was now in Adam's image. Might we say that something happened between Genesis chapter 5, verse 1, when Adam was created in the likeness of God, and Genesis chapter 5, verse 3, when Adam had a son that the Bible describes in the likeness of Adam. It's called sin. It's called death. Adam was no longer three parts. He was no longer in the image of God because he had died spiritually. That's one of the reasons you can't save yourself, my friend, is because you cannot give yourself life. Only God can give life. And that's why in Galatians chapter 3, this promise of the Spirit is so central, is so important to everything that Paul is trying to help the Galatians to understand here, is the blessing that God promised Abraham was the restoration of man to the image that God had originally intended for him, that he would no longer just be a two-part being, that he would be three parts, that part that God could have direct contact with man is restored in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. You see, we call that the priesthood of the believer. You see, this entire ideal of the papacy is based on one premise. And that premise is that you must have someone stand between you and God. And the physical representation of that, and the physical entity that does, is the Roman Catholic Church, who is embodied in the person of the Pope. I do not call him the Holy Father, because he is neither. And if he were holy, he wouldn't be the Pope. And if he were a father, he shouldn't be the Pope anyway, right? Uh, I mean, it just... It's an anomaly. It's it's man's invention is what it is. You see, you don't need me to stand between you and God. God wants His Son to stand between you and God. And by the way, who is His Son? God. God wants to have direct contact with you. That's the promise of faith that God gave to Abraham. That the Holy Spirit of God would live in us. That's, there was a priesthood under the law. But you've got to remember something here. Paul has just finished telling us that you cannot obtain holiness by the law. You cannot obtain a connection of God through the law. You've got to receive it by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men. Now, Paul, is, if it's possible, he's going to build this even further. Though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto before the ages of lawyers and politicians, uh, we might say. Uh, there used to be a time, and it was not that long ago, when you would walk into a bank 
and especially in the rural country, you'd say, I, I need to borrow uh, so many dollars to buy seed to plant my fields, and once I reap the harvest, I'll bring the money in and I will pay you back. And they would talk about uh, an interest rate and charges that would be charged, and they'd say, okay, Joe, I'll see you in October, shake on it. And you walked out of the bank with the money. A whole year's salary. Because on the farm, your harvest was your paycheck. Now, how many of you would like to try to go into the bank and borrow an entire year's salary on a handshake? Anybody here want to try that? I don't know if they'd laugh you right out of there. It doesn't work today. You know, it used to be when a man gave his word, it actually meant something. And uh, even in our day and time, when someone writes their last will and testament, it is almost impossible to break what is written in that will. I say almost because it can be done. I say almost because the government comes in and takes out their share, whether you include them or not. Uh, You know, it's just a a ridiculous... We live in a world where we have swallowed this lack of absolutes until it applies to everything, even the O.J. Simpson murder trial, where nothing is absolute anymore. Even though you commit murder... You may not be found guilty if you have a good enough lawyer, a liar, I mean, a lawyer. Uh, and, And that's what our society has come down to. Now, Paul here was living in a society where when you made, gave your word on something, you didn't change it. And he says here simply, and people have tried to read all kinds of things into this. And he says, if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. If you sit down and make an agreement, you don't change the agreement. Maybe somebody ought to tell the Iranians about this verse. They sat down and made an agreement, and then John Kerry comes back and says, we've got an agreement. And the negotiator from Iran says, but you forgot these 400 pages of agreement that we made on the side. You see, that stuff just didn't used to happen when people would tell the truth. It always happens when you have liars involved. When you have dishonest people trying to hide their dishonesty by making an agreement. You're you're always going to have it. But we're not dealing only with man, but Paul is just presenting something. When When men are honest, when they make an agreement, when they sign a treaty, they don't change the terms. And yet, we have people that want to go back in history, as is going to be alluded to in the next verse, And change things that happened 430 years before so that it can agree with things that happened today. It's called a rewrite in history. That's why I despise the History Channel. Because they go back and they rewrite history 
so that it's, number one, entertaining, and number two, in agreement with modern-day philosophies and understanding of life. Could I challenge you? You cannot go back in time and change facts. You can just lie about them. And this is what Paul is saying in essence here. He says, Now to Abraham, I'm sorry, brethren, though it be but a man's covenant, and this is not a man's covenant, this is a covenant that God made with Abraham, if it be confirmed, if the people agree to it, no man changes it. They don't, they don't make it null and void. They don't add to. It says, now, to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. Now, this is an incredible point here, and if we skip over it, we're going we're gonna to lose an awful lot. God made a covenant with Abraham. Now, I want you to go with me back to Genesis chapter 15. If you would, take your Bibles, Genesis chapter 15. And what you're going to see is a window into ancient history. Far better than any archaeological dig that they can dig up. And, and uh, you know, one time while we were Bible college students, our professor did this wisely to help us understand uh, what happens in an archaeological dig. You see, you dig down through layers of sediment that has been piled there by the centuries in war, and you find things. Well, how do you understand the things that you find? Well, sometimes they just make stuff up. Sometimes they think they understand. And and he went through this scenario of finding an ancient church with a baptistry in the back and came up with all these really, I mean, he had worked on this for a long time, bizarre scenarios as to what the baptistry in a church could be used for, uh, human sacrifice and all this kind of stuff. And, And how in the world would you know what is true unless you had some documents from that group or some kind of proof that you knew exactly what they did? Now, if you found a copy of our church constitution bylaws, you'd know exactly what the baptistry is for, because it spells it out rather plainly, does it not? And, And yet, without that, you would be left to the realm of your own imagination. And this is what happens. And so, what we need to do is we need to read and study what happened in the Bible here. And in Genesis chapter 15... It says, after these things, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born of my house is mine heir. 
And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, Eliezer of Damascus, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward, the, toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he, God, said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he, Abraham, believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. This is where Abraham exercised faith. And God counted Abraham's faith as righteousness. How many of you remember the day you got saved? You believed that the shed blood of Jesus Christ was sufficient to pay the price for your sins and that his resurrection from the dead is proof that Jesus is the very God of gods and has the right to offer you the forgiveness of sins and you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ to save you from your sins. How many of you remember that day? Amen? God counted it to you for righteousness. You see, Abraham got saved the same way you got saved. The only difference is Abraham didn't have as much information as you do. Are we still together? God promised Abraham that in his family, in his seed, shall all the nations. He said, Abraham, this Man born in your house is not going to be your heir, but one that is born of your own bowels, your own son, is going to be the heir. And I want you to look up at the stars. Now, can you count the stars? And, of course, no one can. We still can't count the stars. And he said, so shall your seed be. You're not going to be able to count your descendants. And Abraham simply believed God. Now we're going to see something really strange. This is one of those strange stories in the Bible. Because it's going to be years. It's going to be about 15 or more years before Isaac is born at this point. So Abraham doesn't have that seed yet. He doesn't have that son. And in verse 7 it says, And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give this land, give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, Take me an heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took him unto him all these and divided them in the midst and laid each piece one against another. But the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abraham drove them away, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram and lo and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and they shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterwards shall they come out with great substance. 
And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites and the Kenizzites, the Kadamites and the Hittites and the Pezzarites and the Rephiams and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Girgashites and the Jebusites. Do you see what happened here? Abraham, Abram at this name, his name had not yet been changed to Abraham. He said he believed God when God told him about his, his seed and his descendants. And God said, I'm going to give you this land. And Abraham, Abram said to God, how do I know? And God says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And so they took a heifer and cut it in half. And laid half a three years old. I mean, you're talking an animal that's eight, nine hundred pounds. Maybe even bigger. And they cut that animal in half and laid half of it here and half of it there. And then they took a she-goat that was three years old and cut it in half. And, and these animals, and, and as Abram, Abram did all of this, the, the buzzards came down. He drove them away. And just as the sun was setting, it says that God put Abram to sleep. And a burning lamp and a furnace walked down between those pieces. Now, what we know is one of the ways of making a covenant, and you can read it in other instances, there would be animal sacrifice that was there, and they would eat a meal together uh, from the animals that were killed. Uh, Abraham would do this with the then king of the Philistines, and uh, Isaac would do the same, and basically Jacob and Laban would repeat this thing. This is, this is just an historical fact. I tell you, it almost makes you like lawyers and paper instead of having to kill animals and things. Amen. Uh, but that was the way they did it in those days. But it was traditional for both men to walk through. Only God walked through. He said, this is a covenant that I'm making with you that is not conditional upon you. And what you do, it's conditional upon me and who I am. By the way, that's the only way you get saved. Amen. And this is the covenant that was made. The law comes 430 years after this event. You know what? You can't go back in time and change what happened. And we're going to move on and show that the law is not against the promises of God. That God has a distinct and divine purpose and reason for giving the law. And God, in His perfect timing, has put all of these things together. Let's go back to Galatians chapter 3 and just look at the verses there for a moment and then we'll be done tonight. 
It says in verse 16, Now to Abram and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. Abraham had many sons. Isaac was not his only son. Ishmael was actually born before Isaac. If you, the references are in there. After Sarah died, he married Keturah and it lists uh, seven or eight sons that, that he had through Keturah after Ishmael and Isaac. And every one of those people, you're going to recognize their names as people groups that you're going to find down through the ages in the Bible. Uh, let me tell you something. Abraham had many sons. And God promised him as he was casting Ishmael out that God said, I'm going to make a great nation of him because he is your seed. But the promise wasn't made to every descendant of Abraham. In fact, if you'll remember in uh, verse 7 of chapter 3, if you're going to be a true son of Abraham, it doesn't only take heredity, it takes faith. You've got to have the same faith that Abraham had to be a true descendant of Abraham. See, all these things are connected. And yet, man has used that connection to try to disavow and disallow the physical descendants of Abraham from being included in these promises. I want to challenge you. You can't use this book as an excuse to hate Jewish people. Can't happen. But every Protestant religion and the Catholic religion and the Orthodox have all had a history of hatred. They've gotten over it to a great degree in modern times, but it's there. And it comes from not understanding that God is not about kicking people out. He's about bringing people in. He's not about disallowing people's salvation. He's about giving salvation by faith to whosoever will. And all God's people said, Amen. let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this night. We thank you for your word. And Lord, uh, I, I pray that you would help me to keep from getting too detailed here. But Lord... Help me to explain how our Bible is all one book from Genesis to Revelation. And it's all explained in this chapter right here. It's the promises of Abraham that are fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ and in our personal salvation. Lord, we ask that you would make us responsible for this great knowledge. And help us to live in it each and every day. Before we finish that prayer, we'll just keep our heads bowed. The music will play. If you need to slip out and spend a few moments, the altar's...